Hello, church. Let me uh, begin by asking a question today. Who has fears? Feel free to raise your hand if you want. Who has fears? Uh, maybe I have overstated the case, but I listed the, the title as, We All Have Fear. And it seems like most of us were willing to raise our hand. What kind of things do we fear? What do you fear? Think about fear for just a moment, because fear can be very, very motivating. It can be very paralyzing. Fear can determine how we live our lives. Think back to when you were a child for a second. If you try and think of your first fear, what was that fear? What did you fear when you were young? For me, I, I distinctly remember having this terrible fear of the dark. Anybody with me? You had a fear of the dark? Um, I even see some young people didn't raise their hand, so that's pretty impressive. You're not afraid of the dark. Almost everybody raised their hand. We don't like being uh, in a place where we don't know what's around us. What could be lurking there? What dangers could be there that we're unaware of? We imagine the worst. As we think about life, one of the things that we often do is imagine the worst. And I think our fear of the dark indicates that truth. I remember laying in my bed in the, in the dark or the relative dark, because it seems like we always had plenty of light now that I'm older. It seems like... You can see too much of this room. It's way too light. I want to sleep. Get it darker now. But I remember laying in my bed, and I'd take my stuffed animals, and you guys met my teddy bear uh, about a month or two ago, and I would take teddy and a bunch of other stuffed animals, and I'd pile them around me because I knew if that boogeyman came in, he wouldn't be able to see me in the midst of all those animals. I'd be perfectly safe, those bears and such. So uh, we have a fear of the dark. We have a fear of things that we don't know. Um, does anybody else have a different fear of something? When you're young, you think about having a fear. Does anybody have something different? Feel free to mention it. Say it. I remember as a young person, I kind of had a fear of other people. Like fear of the dark, some of us kind of, we push ourselves, we realize that we kind of have to grow, grow out of this one. But I think a fear of people, uh, it, that's a harder one to kind of grow out of. And I think it's something we all grow up with a little bit. Um, some people don't seem to have this fear at all, but sometimes other people just kind of, we're worried, concerned about what other people might think, what other people might do. I know as, as children, often the, the fear of talking to an adult, there's just some kind of fear there. And they come back to their parents, right? We all have fears. You all know what I'm talking about. A lot of us uh, identify with these things. Fear of the dark, uh, fear of people. Um, sometimes we, we get these fears that are a little bit more irrational. We kind of understand those fears. Sometimes we get a, people have a fear of clowns. I remember somebody I worked with in youth ministry had a fear of clowns. 
So when we were on a mission trip, uh, we stayed at a house, and this house happened to have some kind of clown figurine or something. I don't know. It was a decoration or a toy. I'm not sure, but um, I was a little ornery. And one night when we got back late, and my, my buddy who was helping me at the youth minister, he was an older adult, but a single guy like me, just a couple years younger, he went around the corner and went to go up the stairs, but I had beaten him there and placed a clown there at the bottom of the stairs as he turned to go up the stairs. And yes, he has a really good fear of the clowns. Or a bad one, I'm not sure. So Adam Reese, I apologize for that one. I might have stepped over bounds. But he laughed later. I think it was much later, but he laughed. We have a fear of things that just make a lot of sense. We have fear of things that maybe don't make a lot of sense. But we all have fears. And so young people that are here, you can realize, hey, it's, it's all right to have fears. A lot of us have fears. We fear a lot of different things. And those fears can kind of control us, though. And so we want to make sure that we don't have an unhealthy fear of things because God is the one who is always with us. And one of the themes of Scripture is that God is always saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm here. When we're in the dark or when something goes wrong, we always need to remember that God is with us. So we all have fear, but we need to make sure that we don't succumb to fear. That we don't stop living because of our fear. That we don't stop doing right because of our fear. So think about whatever it is that you think you fear. Whether it's you fear uh, failing a test. Or you you fear failing somebody else and disappointing them. Or you fear that you aren't going to measure up to what you need to be or what you need to do. Whatever these fears are, we need to turn to God and remember that in Him and with His help, we could always do what is right and what is good. And we can put our fears aside and trust Jesus. We sang a song before our Lord's Supper. It's number 591, and it's Tis Midnight and on Olive's Brow. And it struck me as we read. Because it said the verse, verse, Mentions tis midnight and on olive's brow. So on this uh, hillside uh, where the olives grow. It says the star is dim that lately shone. If you read through that passage there is no mention of a star. The song is referencing Jesus. Jesus who shone in everything that he did. He shone or shined the light of God. In all that he did, and here in the garden, it seems that it's fair to say that he was dimmed. There was something going on there, dark and terrible. The suffering Savior prays alone is how verse 1 ends. Verse 2 says, "'Tis midnight and from all removed." Strange phrase. I know when I was young, I was like, from all removed. Well, Jesus was there by himself. So he was removed from others. So tis midnight, and from all removed, the Savior wrestles alone with fears. 
And I believe that to be true. Scripture doesn't point out that he was fearful, but we know he sweat drops his blood. He was dreading the cup that he was going to have to drink, the cup that we talked about at length last Sunday. The, The wrath of God coming upon him is what he experienced at the cross. And as we, I'm pointing now to the table that we gathered around, the table with the cup and the bread, we know that Jesus took our sins. He died for us. And this is an awful, terrible thing. If if blood bothers you, it should, because Jesus gave up his blood for us, and it was a terrible, awful thing. It was a dreadful thing. But it was the sacrifice that he was willing to make. It was what he was supposed to do. It was God's plan for him to suffer and die on that cross on that night. He knew what was going on. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed alone, removed from all others, and he's got the weight of the world, he knows the, it's not the weight of the world that's coming on his shoulders, it's the weight of all the sins of the world are going to come upon him. And he wrestled with that. He feared that punishment that we deserved. He took it for us. I believe he wrestled with the idea of the physical punishment that he was about to face. I I believe he wrestled with the idea of death. He had not experienced death before, just like we have not experienced death. He wrestled with that. But he wrestled most of all with the idea that our sins were going to be upon Him. The Savior wrestled with fears. The Savior understands us. He gets us. He knows us. He experienced life like us. And so I expand that song. Help me to expand my lesson today because... Not only do we have Paul to look to to say Paul had fears, but we also look and consider even Jesus had fears. We all face fears in this life. But now as we consider Jesus' fears and what he was going to go through on that cross and what he was going to suffer for us, now think about what you fear. Uh... You think about the things that we fear, they don't kind of, they don't elevate to that level that Jesus, the only thing, can you imagine Jesus worrying or having a fear about what he was going to uh, do in retirement, you know? Uh, Was Jesus worried about where his kids were going to go to school or anything like that? Did Jesus have these kind of fears? Did Jesus have a fear of clowns? You know, did Jesus have a fear of the dark? Did Jesus have the fear of missing out? You know, we talk about that when kids on their phones, us on our phones. We fear we're going to miss out on something. We've got to see what everybody else is doing. Fears guide us and control us. But when we think about what Jesus feared, our fears don't seem like much. Jesus had a real dilemma of what he faced. But did he let that fear stop him from doing what he needed to do? The answer is clearly no. He went to the cross, willingly suffered and died at the hands of sinful men. 
turned his life over to God, that God's will would be done and not his will, he did what he needed to do to bring glory and honor to the Father. He did not let his fears stop him from doing what is right. He didn't let his fears stop him from accomplishing what he was put on this earth to accomplish. The last thing he says, his last words on the cross are, it is finished. It's done. It is accomplished. So the lesson today is to encourage us as we think about our fears. We've got to not let those fears stop us from accomplishing what we were put here to do. Paul serves as a wonderful example of this. When Paul was in Corinth, he writes to the, the Corinthians, he, he says, when I was with you guys, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul had fear. It was trying to get control of him. But he didn't let it. He did what he was supposed to do. What is recorded in Acts supports this, this idea that he had fear because after a few conversions that he had in Corinth, the Lord uh, had to speak to Paul and tell him to not be afraid. So look at Acts chapter 18. And go back to Acts. I want to flip around in a few passages here to, uh, to talk a little bit about Paul and to talk about fear. Because we all have fear. We all need to face our fears. And we all need when we have these fears just to say, all right, God's with me. No matter come what may, I'm going to do what I was put here on this earth to do. I am going to obey God. I am going to do His will. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 11, it says, The Lord said to Paul, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching them, teaching the word of God among them. Paul had fear. He was with the Corinthians in much fear and trembling. And God has to come to him and say, I'm gonna, you've got to do your, your mission. You've got to carry this out. You cannot fail at this. I want you to do what I put you here to do. I'm with you. Nobody's going to attack you. Why would God say, uh, nobody's going to attack you. No man will harm you. Why would God have to tell him that? Well, the answer comes and you just start flipping backwards in the book. But let me go to the first place. Uh, when Paul is on his first missionary journey, he goes into to Asia, what we call Asia Minor, the area of Turkey. And this is recorded in Acts chapter 13. So go back there. And we're just picking out a few verses and kind of removing them out of their context. But when Paul would go from place to place to preach the word of God, usually... Uh, typically, he'd go to, he would, he, well, he would always go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles, but when he went to the Jews first, they'd be interested and they'd be listening. 
They might invite him back the next week and they'd be interested. And then when they start realizing that Paul's got something different, Paul's messing with who they are and what they believe and their authority and their power with the people in particular, they get upset. So this happens in Antioch of uh, Pisidia, uh, Acts 13, verses 49 through 51. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went on to Iconium. They had people coming at them. Drove them out of the city. They were being persecuted. So they go on to the next city. And then in chapter 14, verses 4 through 6, they are in Iconium, I believe. Uh, when the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here's their first missionary journey. They had some setbacks in Crete. They made it past that, come up into Asia. First couple of cities, they, run, they get ran out. Persecution in Iconium. They wanted to stone them to death. They got out of there. Now look at chapter 14. They go on to Lystra, as it had mentioned, verses 19 through 20. But the Jews came. Everything was going decent in Lystra. But... Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. They stoned him. They left him for dead. They dragged him out. They threw him down outside the city. They thought he was dead. He had been stoned perhaps to death. Perhaps it was God who woke him from death and got him up. They thought he was dead. I don't know if he was or not. Sure looked like he was. So, Paul's first missionary journey. He gets beaten, ran out of cities. That's what happened. But Paul seems to be fearless. Notice in verse 20, he stood up and he goes back into the city. Isn't this amazing? And we get this picture of, man, Paul's fearless. Paul, they just killed you in where you're going back into. They just killed you there. And you want to get up and go back in. And he did. And he went back in and kept preaching. We read this and we think, man, Paul didn't have a fear. He knew God was with him and he's like, uh, 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 kill me again. I don't care. I'm going to get back up and keep going. We, we think Paul's fearless. But he actually knew that tribulations were a part of entering the kingdom of God. He knew that difficulties were a part of walking the Christian life. Acts 14, 21, it's the very next verses. After he, they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, 
the places where he had been run out of, the places where his life had been threatened, he goes back there. What does he do? Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He was telling them, hey, I, you, you've seen, you witnessed my tribulation. These people are trying to kill me. But I came back anyhow. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to accomplish what God put me here to do. And he's telling them, you can kind of expect the same thing. He says, we, we must enter the kingdom of God through these tribulations. Becoming a Christian doesn't make everything good and perfect. Becoming a Christian puts you on a path and on a mission in this life. And that mission is not always accepted. You can expect tribulation. He seems fearless. He's a good example for us. But now continue on into the next missionary journey. It begins in Acts chapter 16. This is a second missionary journey. Uh, in Philippi is the first place when he's called over. He visits the churches in Asia. He gets called over to Macedonia. And the first place he goes to in Macedonia is Philippi. Acts 16, verses 19 through 24. But when, there, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Verse 22. The crowd woke, rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off, off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Terrible persecution. Beaten horribly. Thrown in jail. That was in Philippi. They get out of Philippi. You can read about it later. But in Acts chapter 17, verses 4 and 5, the next place they go to is Thessalonica. 17, 4 through 5. And some of them were per persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So here they are in a new place, having success. But, verse 5, but the Jews began becoming jealous and taking along... Some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. So here they are. They want Paul and Silas. They want them dead. They want to stop what's going on. So they stirred up that crowd. So they, uh, they end up getting out of there. They leave Thessalonica. The next place they go is Berea. Acts chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. So they get, they get run out of Thessalonica. Their lives are constantly being threatened. 
So then he went to Athens, that's in chapter 17, verse 16. And then from everything goes well in Athens, but he doesn't stay in Athens long, it doesn't seem. And then he goes to Corinth. And so now we're back to the place where we started. In Acts chapter 18, uh, and we're thinking about Corinth, we start with our letter from the Corinthians. Acts chapter 18, verses 5 through 10, it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews, that Jesus was, was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, be, believed the word, believed in the Lord with all his household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Usually after this, when the word starts happening, having success, what comes next? What was Paul anticipating? We can only assume because the next passage tells us what we've already read. And the Lord said to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid. New American Standard adds in there any longer. It's letting us know he was afraid. It wasn't, he wasn't saying, don't start being afraid, and I think this is true. It's, stop being afraid. I understand why you're afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you for, in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he was there a year. On the paper, I write, could... Paul had been dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. We have come to understand this is a very real thing. I think, you know, this is, we think about our people who deal with traumatic things, who deal with war, come back from war. They seem to be changed and, de and different when people are the police officers, these people who do great service to us for uh, the firemen who see awful things. And those of us who have had traumatic things to us as children, we know that those things stick with us. We call it post-traumatic stress disorder. Would anybody here blame Paul if he had PTSD? Would any of us dare to say, no, that's silly. Paul couldn't have had PTSD. Seems logic from place to place. He's run out of there. He's killed. He's threatened. He has all of these things that happen to him. And now think about our fears. What do we, what do we fear? You know, <laughs> what kind of fears guide us? We, get, we have a fear of standing up in front of people. I have a great fear of uh, public speaking. Okay, Paul did public speaking, and they would try and kill him afterwards about every time. Our fears just don't seem great. Jesus was threatened. His fear was going to the cross, having the sins of the world put upon him, and taking the punishment, the guilt for all of that stuff. Our fears don't seem like much. Paul had a reason to fear. He talks about that Second Corinthians. Go to. He talks about his fears. He talks about all he went through. I guess I should say it that way. He mentioned his fears in 1 Corinthians, where we started, chapter 2, verse number 3. But look now at uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Just a couple of verses to consider here. Just listen. 
This is Paul recounting some of the stuff that he's been through. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. He was saying that, hey, all this stuff that threatens my life, I'm doing it for the sake of Jesus. And it's very real. He's talking about his experience. Chapter 11. You want to get specific about his experiences? Chapter 11 is where he gets very specific and he goes on at length. Chapter 11, verse 23 is where we will start and go to 29. Are they servants of Christ? So he's responding to people who are saying they're smarter and know better and they're better apostles than what Paul is. So he says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. As part, apart from such external things, there is daily the pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? That stirs me. Paul had a reason as he talks. And he's reluctant to even just share this to say, look at me. But it puts upon me just this great weight of, I've got fears. I'm trying to love it. I claim to live my life for Jesus. Look what he did. Who am I to complain about anything? Who am I to have any fears? None of my fears are real. I, don't, I haven't experienced anything like Paul experienced. I've feared the dark. Eh, dark's not much, is it? I've feared public speaking. Eh, got over that one. There's two I got over. I had both of those fears. The dark and, well, actually still sometimes the dark can scare me when you don't know where you're at. But man, our, our fears, they just, compared to Paul, compared to Jesus, compared to what they face, we don't have fears. We need to wake up and actually start doing something for the sake of the gospel, not live in fear. We're more concerned about our paychecks, our retirement, pleasing other people than we are pleasing God. We need to get over our fears, face our fears, and say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. 
I don't don't care about anything that man can do to me. I want to live for you. I want to follow Christ. And when I follow Christ, I should expect that tribulations will come. I can expect that if they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute me. And we might be surprised who they is. Paul didn't let him... Let fear stop him from doing God's will. His fear of the Lord helped him overcome his worldly fears. He bore that out in his life. And you can look and consider 2 Corinthians 5.11. You can look at chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. And you'll see there that he is talking about fear. He acknowledges fear. But his fear of the Lord is greater. And this idea of having the fear of the Lord. It's you're concerned about what he thinks. Not about what man thinks. Don't let fear stop you from living for Jesus. Our greatest fear shouldn't be getting to the uh, should be getting to the end of this life and thinking that we might discover that we didn't have the courage to do what our master was asking us to do. That just should be our greatest fear is to think that I'm going to get to my dying breath and going to be thinking I've got to see Jesus now, and I haven't done. What he said. That would be a great and terrible dread that should come over us. Don't save that fear of the Lord for your final breath. Live according to the fear of the Lord right now. And so we end with Jesus' rebuke and warning in Matthew chapter 24. His call to us to do something. The fact that he uh, shares uh, this beautiful parable. Matthew 25. Shares this wonderful parable saying, here, take this. Take ten talents. Take five talents. Take one talent. 25.14 For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called out his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two. I doubled it from uh, Luke, I guess. And another one according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Why did he hide the master's money? We go on later. We skip down to verses 24. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you, but a hard man... Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given, and and he will have in abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So today there's this wonderful encouragement, a wonderful, oh, that's nice to know moment. Because we realize everybody has fears. Even Jesus and the great seemingly fearless Apostle Paul, they had fears. And so when we have fear, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that stops us. It should be something that's saying, okay, everybody has fears. How do I get through it? But there's also this warning that our fears that we're focused on are not what they should be. God has given us something. He has put us here with a purpose in this life. He has given us a message to take to others. He puts us here to have an effect on the world. Our light shining should be making a difference. And our only fear should be that we're not trying to shine the light. We're not trying to share the message. We're not doing all that we can with what God has given us. Our only fear should be on that final day that, that we say, I was afraid. I knew you were, and I was, but I was still afraid. And Jesus says, man, you could have done something simple like put it, put it in the bank for interest. We got to do something for Jesus. We can't let our fears stop us. We got to live all out for Christ. Don't let the things of the world, because we're 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 so focused on stuff and worldly things happening, and just life that's not real life. We let all that stuff drive us. We fear we're going to miss out. We fear we're going to. I, I don't know what we're, we got these fears that just shouldn't be guiding us. The only fear that should drive us is our fear of the Lord God, our wonderful respect for Him. And the path that's set before us, it's not an easy one. We've got to live for Christ. All out, living for Him, putting everything else aside. And it's a scary thing to give up all. And come follow Jesus. But I encourage you to do that today. If there's anybody here who is ready to live for Christ. And there's something that you fear that's been holding you back. It's always fear that holds us back. Let go of those fears. Come to Jesus. And live for Him. Give your life to Him. Immersion is a death. We all fear death. But turn your life over to Christ. And live for Him. Because when you die, you're raised up to this new and wonderful life. And let us walk in that path. Turn to number 345. It's love that lifts us. We know Jesus has done so much for us. We are motivated by love. So we can put aside fear. Have the fear of the Lord in us to do what he's asked. Let us live for him. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.